Sam, bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. Bless you. It's a young man with so much potential. I'll read another gospel lesson as well, this time in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. It reads, And that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to himself and placed the child among them. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lonely position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it will be better for them to have a huge milestone hung around their neck and be put and be drowned into the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that causes people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eyes causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Praise, O oh, praise our God and King, hymns of adoration, sing for your mercies endures forever. You are ever faithful, you are ever sure. Faithful God, as we delve into your word now, help us to be hearers and doers of your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years back, I wrote a song titled, I Can Make It By Faith. One of the verses in that song says, with money, we can buy whatever we want. But by faith, only by faith, we'll receive eternal life. Only by faith, we will live victorious lives in Christ Jesus and I guess some of you might want to hear that song. So I'm going to use that guitar over there. I'm sure some of you have been asking, why is that guitar there? I'm going to use it and I'll sing just one verse of that song. And I will continue the message. I can make it, not by my strength, but only by faith. Let's sing together. years back when I was in Sierra Leone during the Civil War. I just can't take it by force, but I can make it by faith. It's not by my, it's not by power, but just by faith in Christ I know, I know I can make it by faith. I just can't take it by force, but I can make it by faith. It's not by my, it's not by far, but just by faith in Christ I know, I know I can make it by faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. With money 
can buy whatever we want, but by faith we will receive eternal life. I just can't take it by force, but I can make it by faith. It's not by might, it's not by power, but just by faith in Christ I know, I know I can make it by F-A-I-T-H. I cannot take it by force. It is not by might. It is not by power. But by faith in Christ, you and I will make it in Jesus' name. It was uh, Martin Luther, a 16th century monk and a theologian who said, faith in God is to believe that God can do and God will do that he has promised. I love that. God can and God will do all the things that he has promised. At Sunday school, a nine-year-old, Liam, was taught that the kingdom of heaven belongs uh, to children. Armed with this information, a few days later, Liam asked his dad to buy him a bicycle. His dad said, Liam, I can't afford buying you a bicycle at the moment. Liam said, in that case, Daddy, I am not going to let you come into heaven. Because my Sunday school teacher says... The kingdom of heaven belongs to us children. At least he was applying the word of God. You see, when Peter, when James and John and the disciples decided to be the bouncer to stop the children from coming to Jesus, those were the exact words that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, as Charlie was saying over there. Jesus said, let the children come unto me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Inspired by those words in Matthew chapter 19 in the 1800s, a young Methodist minister by the name of Reverend Thomas Bowman Stevenson began to welcome and help homeless children he encountered living very rough under the arches of uh, Waterloo Station here in London. Touched by the story of two of these homeless boys, Fred and George, uh, Reverend Bowman was determined to help them. He came up with an idea to build a home, a place for these children where they might be shielded from crime, shielded from poverty, shielded from living rough. To get this done, he worked very hard. And on this day, exactly today, the 9th of July in, in 1869, the first action for children's home was opened here in the UK. Since then, Action for Children is now the National Children's Home and has become the official Methodist charity and uh, national movement. But you see, it all started with a simple welcome. All he did was to open up to welcome the children, uh, inviting them and responding to that call from our Lord Jesus that we are to make space for the young children to come to him. While the disciples were keen to send the children away, Reverend Thomas was welcoming them. Jesus invites us to welcome the children to come unto him because he loves them. He wants us to welcome the children to come unto him because he knows that as adults, there is a lot that we can learn from the children as well as we see in this uh, gospel passage that I've just read to you all. In the opening verses of that gospel passage in Matthew chapter 18, we see that the disciples were looking, they were locked into this rival argument about who was the greatest among them. 
The argument may have started because in chapter 17, which is the previous chapter, Jesus took three of the disciples to go up to the mountain of transfiguration where they saw an amazing picture of his glory. Moses and Elijah came down on the mountain. It was beautiful. But even though he warned them that no, they should not say anything to anyone until after his resurrection. It is very, very difficult to imagine that Peter... Peter didn't say anything to those other disciples. Peter may have come back and rubbed it on them. Guess what? We are the big boys who were taken up there. And so perhaps the other disciples were feeling a little bit as if Jesus was playing favorite here. So the argument may have broke out from there. But other theologians come up with something to say that the argument started after Jesus spoke to them again in chapter 17 and spoke about his death. And at that point, they were all thinking about succession. Who is going to take over the group when he was gone? In the Gospel of Mark, both and also the Gospel of Luke, they both said the disciples argued, and they argued over this question of who is the greatest. We see here among the disciples a clash of ego, a clash of rivalry, unhealthy competition and comparison within them may have sparked this bitter argument. Friends, when pride, uh, when selfish desire for prominence instead of humility reign among us Christians, then there is bound to be conflict and division which leaves us with fractured relationship, which leaves us with wounded egos and disunity between brothers and sisters. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, it was pride that led Adam and Eve to sin against God and then had a broken relationship with God. And here again in the gospel, we see pride raising its ugly head among the disciples. In that argument, voices may have been raised. But when the disciples saw that no one was winning this argument, they took their debates to Jesus Christ, the peacemaker. Jesus Christ, the peacekeeper. Friends, what better place have we got to take our unanswered questions? What better place have we got to take those problems, uh, those situations that are going beyond human maintenance in our hands? What better place have we got to take them but to take them to Jesus Christ? As the hymn writer said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to be. What a privilege you and I have got uh, to take all those our unanswered questions to the Lord. Perhaps because we don't have him in person here, we can take them to him in prayer. What better place have we got but to take them to the Lord? And the disciples brought their argument, and they all sat there waiting breathlessly for Jesus to name the greatest among them. Who is he going to pick? Is he going to be Peter? Is he going to be John? Who is he going to pick? But Jesus answered that question with a small but yet powerful object lesson. He called the little child to him and set the child in the midst of them. And he said, this here, right here, this little child is greatness. I can see the shock in the eyes of the disciples. What is he talking about? This child, greatness? Yes. Jesus pointed to the child and said, this right here in front of you is greatness. Jesus turned the questions on his head, reminding them that the greatness 
at times we look for can come in small things. In the kingdom of God, it is those things that we sometimes see as small, as small as a mustard seed. Sometimes we see them as weak, even worthless, that are of great value in the kingdom of God. In a culture where children were loved and cherished but helpless and without status, Jesus is pointing to a child and he said to them, except you be converted, except you change, except you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Here we see the disciples were putting the cart before the horse. They were talking about greatness. But Jesus decided to address first and foremost the entry requirement into the kingdom of heaven. And the entry requirement here is not a visa. Some of us who came from overseas, you know how important a visa is, don't you? Yes, when you get it, how do you feel? Feel good. Now I can go to the UK. I've got the visa. But the entry requirement that Jesus is pointing to here is not a visa. He points them to something completely different. Uh, Jesus said to them, except you change. And that is a difficult one for us adults. We struggle to change. We struggle with change. Except we be converted and become like children. Except we repent. Except we turn around to God in total surrender and dependence like a child would we have not met the entry requirement. Except you and I be born of water and of the Spirit and become like children, Jesus says, we still haven't got the ticket to go in, not to talk about greatness. To enter the kingdom and to have this greatness that Jesus is talking about here, you and I must make a U-turn. A U-turn on the road of pride. A U-turn on the road of selfishness and unhealthy comparison and competition. And take a right turn on the slip road of humility. Take a right turn on the slip road of childlike faith. Otherwise, we are heading in the wrong direction. So what is childlike faith? It is a humble faith. It is an innocent faith. It is humility. In their children's book titled, Like a Child, the Reverend Tony Miles and Francis Miles wrote these words, I quote, The Lord places higher worth on innocent than the know-it-all attitude. He honors humility over pride and, he, and trust over cynicism. It is the humility of the children that Jesus was focusing on here and not all the other aspects of the children. Trust me, if you have one of my grandchildren, you will know that at times children can be a nightmare. That one, when he's ready in the house, at times, <laughs> there's a problem here. But here Jesus was focusing on a specific attributes of children, and that is their humility. Our children comes to us with believing and loving hearts. They exemplify humility. They exemplify trust, dependence, and loyalty. They are often the first to love and also the first to forgive. You put them in the playground to play together, they will upset each other. They will fight. They will cry. They will fall out. But give them a few hours. They're back together, playing and laughing and jumping and enjoying themselves together. They do not hold grudge. They reconcile and forgive easily. This, brothers and sisters, is the beauty of having childlike faith. 
Some of us are sitting here now, we are saying, I will never forgive over my dead body what he did to me, what she did to me. Never. Don't make that mistake. Let's learn from the children this morning and find a place in your hearts to hold forgiveness for those who've hurt you because it is what God has called us to be. If we are to be Christ-like, we must change and follow some of those attributes of the children. So childlike faith is humility, but it is also trusting and dependent faith. When Liam, the story I told you about the little boy who asked for the bicycle, when he was told eventually that he was going to get his bicycle, the story said he went to school, he rushed to school, he told all his friends, guess what, I am going to have a bicycle. My dad has promised me a bicycle. And he demanded all his friends to be nice to him. Otherwise, they will not ride the bicycle. But you see, all this was even before the bicycle was bought. But Liam had faith in the promise spoken word of his daddy. His confidence that something is going to happen because his daddy has said it. Do we strive for this quality of faith? Do we strive for this quality of confidence? Do we strive for this quality of trust in our heavenly father who is far better than all the, heavenly, all the fathers put together in this world? Do we strive in this kind of confidence in his word that he will do what he said he will do? Childlike faith is a humble faith. It's a trusting faith. It's a dependent faith. But also it is a loyal faith. And the biblical example for this is clear in our Old Testament, read for us beautifully by Nana there. It talks about the healing of a general, a big man called Naaman. He is the big man. In all the versions of the Bible I have read, the story is always about Naaman. But if you look into that story, embedded into the story of Naaman is the story of this slave girl. Is the story of this girl that she's even nameless in that story. She is so insignificant that she's not even given a name. Taken as slavery uh, in a war, and she was now a house girl to Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, I quote, If only, if only, my master would see the prophet in Samaria. He would cure him from his leprosy. As a slave girl in a foreign land, her unflinching loyalty is revealed when her Christ-like loyal faith spoke up in compassion and recommended the God in Samaria as a deliverer and as a healer. Even in exile, her childlike faith was pointing people to the God of Israel. How confident are we today to recommend God to the people in our workplaces? How confident are we today to recommend Methodist Central Hall Westminster? How confident are we today to recommend our ministers in this place to people who are in need of divine help as Naaman was purely in need of that? How confident are we to recommend God, this church and our ministers to people who are in need of divine help? The nameless girl, Charlotte's faith is an example for all of us here to emulate. No wonder Jesus said, except we change and have this childlike faith, we are missing the point. And so this morning, as we conclude this service, I want us to reflect on what N National Children's Home and Action for Children has been doing for children 
They're doing exactly what Jesus has called us to do. To look to them and follow their example in responding to him by faith. And so as I conclude, I invite you to picture the imagery of Jesus Christ placing a child at the center of what we are called to be. And as we picture the scene, let us strive to embrace the beauty and the greatness that comes with having a childlike faith, which makes all things possible to them that can, in Jesus' name, believe. May we trust in God with all our hearts and approach him with the same joy and wonder as a child. And I pray we'll do so in Jesus' name. Amen.